magic makers. It is May. It is officially Mental Health Awareness Month. And we are doing a deeper dive into the mental health side of things to celebrate this month on the podcast. So today's episode, I am so excited about because I have my friend Katie Lear with me. She's a counselor, a play therapist, and a drama therapist who helps preteens deal with anxiety and OCD in a really unique, fun, and cool way. Hint, it involves Dungeons and Dragons. We are going to get to that in a moment, but before I get into my conversation with Katie and who Katie is, I want to share something a little bit more personal with y'all. So every morning I wake up, whether it's mental health awareness month or not, and I do my best to start my day with 10 minutes of meditation. Shout out Jeff Warren on the Calm app. It's what I use every morning. It's like a quick 10 minute hit. It's awesome. And then I try to spend at least half an hour reading some sort of book that is going to nourish my soul and my mental health. Um, And I decided that for the month of May, I was going to reread a book that I've actually read called The Gifts of Imperfection by Dr. Brene Brown. Now, I've already read this book, but it was a long time ago. And the reason I chose this one is because of a podcast episode that Dr. Brene Brown actually did when she was launching the 10th anniversary edition of the gifts of imperfection. It was so much fun to listen to her podcast that she recorded with her sisters. It was really personal. Um, it was really enlightening. It made me feel so much better about my own mental health journey. Cause when someone you admire talks about their mental health journey and, um, the struggles and the laughs that they've had along the way, it like gives you permission to really be authentic about your own mental health journey and not feel so bad about maybe the days that it's not going so well. So after listening to that series of podcasts on her show, Unlocking Us, which is on Spotify, highly recommend it. I ordered the book. I ordered the 10th anniversary edition of The Gifts of Imperfection. And I'm saying all of this because the preface of the 10th anniversary edition was not in the original book that I read. And I opened the book earlier this week and started reading the preface. And I just want to read a couple of passages for you and then tell you my embarrassing, vulnerable, hilarious reaction to these passages. Okay. So this is in the preface of the 10th anniversary of the gifts of imperfection by Dr. Brene Brown quote. I heard stories about the power of embracing imperfection and vulnerability. I learned about the inextricable connection between joy and gratitude and how things I take for granted like rest and play are as vital to our health as nutrition and exercise. She goes on to talk about how she was doing research and the research participants were telling all of their stories about how to live a more wholehearted life that was free from shame. She goes on to say, I had a lot of questions about wholeheartedness. What did these folks value? How did they create all this resilience in their lives? What were their main concerns and how did they resolve or address them? What does it take to cultivate what we need? And then (laughs) she answers that question. 
She says, I started analyzing the stories and then looking for recurring themes. And I realized the patterns generally fell in one of two columns. For simplicity's sake, I labeled these do and don't. The do column was brimming with words like worthiness, rest, play, trust, faith, intuition, hope, authenticity, love, belonging, joy, gratitude, and creativity. By the way, I'm going to write all of these out and put them in the show notes with a link to buy this book. (laughs) Now she goes on. The don't column was dripping with words like perfection, numbing, certainty, exhaustion, self-sufficiency, being cool, fitting in, judgment, and scarcity. And it was at that moment, listener, that I closed the book and threw it across the room because (laughs) wouldn't you know it, I've been living a lot more than I thought that I had been in the don't column. I have been rejecting play for perfection. I have been letting go feelings of belonging in the pursuit of feeling cool or fitting in. I've ignored my intuition. Um, I have told myself that self-sufficiency is my superpower instead of letting myself ask for help and rely on other people and let them in. And boy, howdy, this was a tough pill to swallow for me. I literally wrote in the margin, well, comma, shit, period. (laughs) And I'm sharing this with you right now because I don't think there's enough space in the sort of mental health podcast, entrepreneurship podcast world for people to admit that they struggle. Also, so many of us who come to the table wanting to have these conversations are healing our own shit. And I'm one of those people and I'm in the trenches with you. And what I share with you, the guests that I bring on, the topics that I want to talk about, all of that is because we're in the trenches together. I want you to hear these conversations and get the value out of them beyond making your business have a better return on investment. I want it to be about more than making money. I want to reject this don't column scarcity mindset. And I instead want to invite you into a mindset of worthiness as you already are and leaning into play, creativity, faith, intuition, authenticity, love, belonging, bringing more of those do column things into our lives. And one of the amazing ways that you can do that is by listening to conversations like the one you're about to hear. What a segue. All right. So as I sort of touched on, my friend Katie is here today. She's a counselor and she's a play therapist. She has a background in theater and drama. That's how we connected originally. And she found her way into working with children as a therapist and also helping in particular preteens deal with anxiety and OCD and even depression. We're going to talk about that. And eventually she uh, is now writing a book about grief 
in terms of childhood development. And she's so smart that the most incredible through line of this conversation, the biggest takeaway I had was the importance of play, giving ourselves permission to be silly, giving ourselves permission to play and pretend and use our imaginations and be creative with an absence of self-judgment. My God, what a gift if we could give ourselves that gift. So one of the things that we talk about in this conversation is a group that Katie has been running with in tandem with my other friend, Zachary Bird, who is an actor. They created an online D&D, it's Dungeons and Dragons, an online Dungeons and Dragons based social skills club called Young Dragon Slayers. Man, oh man, it is so fun. We talk about how you can use play to help both kids and adults explore identity, practice social skills, form friendships, um, overcome their struggles with perfectionism, and really allow us to embrace that open, playful space that is in all of us. I know the term inner child sounds hippie woo woo, but you know what? We've all got one. So this conversation is chock full of incredible advice. Um, Katie is such a resource. I hope that you listen to this and are inspired to go get your hands dirty, maybe play a board game with some friends or some family tonight. And with that, please enjoy this amazing conversation with counselor, play therapist, and my friend, Katie Lear. Welcome my dear friend, Katie Lear to find your magic. We're going to find like extra levels of magic because today we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. It is true. We could find like elven magic. We could we find could all find kinds of magic. Chaos today. magic, right? Wild magic. There's a lot, a lot of options. So we- much magic. We're finding it all. And you are our fearless leader <laughs> slash dungeon master, <laughs> bringing us into, into the brave foray, into the journey super pumped to be along for the ride. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I will do my best. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am pumped to share what has quickly become like a huge, a huge passion of mine and a big part of my life. I'm so excited about this. Okay. So let's start with, if you could give a little bit of an intro into how you found yourself in the counseling field. You're a play therapist, drama yes. therapist. Let's talk about that foundation of your work. Absolutely. Yes. So I came to counseling in a sort of a roundabout way. So my work now is that I'm a counselor and a play therapist and a drama therapist in private practice in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Prior to that, my undergrad degree is in theater. So I kind of came to therapy in this backdoor way through doing theater in therapeutic settings and then getting to a point where I realized that the only time that I really felt excited anymore was when I was doing theater in therapeutic settings and that auditions had just become sort of a sad grind. And also I could not envision a world for myself where I wasn't nannying to make a living. And I so desperately wanted to be a parent and wanted to feel like I had a stable home at some point in my life and just was like riding the subway in New York three hours a day to nanny for multiple (laughs) families who I loved, but I was still just like, you know, living paycheck to paycheck every month. So those two things together 
brought me into the therapy field. And then once I was there, really discovered that there were still ways that I could bring that creative energy into my work. Um, Yes. Yes. Gosh, sidebar, because I obviously very deeply identify with what you just said. Similar life story. Got my degree in theater with your husband, Steve. Yes. Who is now a professor at our alma mater, Go Wildcats, yay, Davidson. And I found the transition mentally really difficult, letting go of acting because it had become an identity. But as you said, I was experiencing those exact things of like the audition grind was not fulfilling anymore. And I was, but I still found like, there are still nuggets of joy. Like there's still a reason that this was my degree. There's still a reason this was the initial field that I wanted to go into. Yeah. So can you tell me, a little bit about the process of letting go of one career slash identity to move into one that felt more aligned. Yes. I think for me, one of, one of the through lines was thinking about what had gotten me into theater in the first place, which Mm. for me, I think for many people, but particularly for me was as a kid, doing theater early as many of us did, right? (laughs) This thing, we love it. And we think, well, if we love it, it must be what we should be doing for a career, especially if we get good feedback about it from Mm. adults. Yes. It was a place where I felt like I was good at something and I felt like I belonged to a group. And for many theater kids like myself, there were not a lot of places where I had that. I was really struggling in school. I did not want to go to school. I was not one of these kids who was like super competitive, high achieving at everything, like straight A kid. I was the like skipping school a lot kid Mm -hmm. and getting written off a lot kid as, you know, not, not trying hard or being lazy. And so I bet a lot of people can identify with that. Yeah. It's like the, it's a flip side of perfectionism that I think we don't always think about so much that like, even I, in my like therapist life envision perfectionist as like the varsity athlete who is also on the honor roll, who's like, beating themselves up over the 98 that they got. (laughs) Uh, But for me, it was not that. It was like, I just wouldn't turn in the work because I was so scared that I would let somebody down with it. So I just wouldn't. I I would do it and I wouldn't hand it in, which sucks because you get none of the perks of perfectionism. (laughs) It's just like all of the anxiety. That's such an important, that's such an important thing to define though. I actually read some very nerdy research this Mm -hmm. week about the definition of perfectionism. And I was blown away to find that the opposite of perfectionism is striving for excellence. That's the opposite. Perfectionism is immobility due to fear. Yeah. And that when, when that clicked for me, and that was literally what, four days ago, I, it was the biggest light bulb to be like, oh, I need to stop calling pursuit of like a genuine pursuit of excellence perfectionism. Yeah. Cause that's not the definition. That's not the language. Yeah. I almost wonder if there's a spectrum too, where like, certainly mm-hmm. there are those people who have like a little competitive edge and it mostly helps them in life. And like, maybe it causes some anxiety, but it's also pretty adaptive. And then there's like yeah. that whole range where this trait suddenly becomes really not helpful anymore. And then at the far end, there's like the kid who's just so frozen that they can't turn anything in. Yeah. Like immobile.
Do you like making money on autopilot? Thought so. That's why I am tickled pink to share one of our sponsors for Find Your Magic is my personal favorite platform, Kajabi, K-A-J-A-B-I. Kajabi. They are the number one most trusted knowledge commerce platform, and they have the most ways to directly monetize your content. So that means you can build and launch courses. You can have coaching programs, host your podcast. This podcast is coming to you from Kajabi right now. You can have memberships. There's so many ways to monetize content with Kajabi. And the reason I love them above other platforms is they make it so freaking easy. If you are technology averse like me, you are going to love how easy it is to just seamlessly create products and create marketing funnels all directly on one platform. You don't need to be connecting a million different things and tearing your hair out, trying to figure out why the cart isn't going to the email, isn't going to the analytics. Like it's just done. It's just all in Kajabi. It has seriously saved me so much time and so much money in my business. Can't recommend it highly enough. So pumped to be able to call them a sponsor. So go to kelseyformost.com slash Kajabi for a free 30-day trial of Kajabi's platform. That's kelseyformost.com slash K-A-J-A-B-I. Kajabi's awesome. Well, yeah. okay. So let's then move yes. in. So you got into therapy and you found your way to play therapy. Yes. And yeah. when we say play, we don't just mean drama, like with a script, Correct. you mean yeah. like, like play, like how kids I mean, play. Make believe. I mean, dollhouses. I mean, a lot of my day is spent creating slime in my office with kids. I like burn through slime supplies in my, you know, like the like gallon thing of glue, like actual hands-on analog, non-electronic play is a huge Ooh, part. Non-electronic play. Kids. That's a yes. big old asterisk. Yes. Yes. Interesting because I do also do like Zoom games with kids, but in my play therapy office, not a lot of like battery operated toys mm-hmm. uh, generally. And A lot of the thought process behind that is that children are learning through play. Children are learning through storytelling. Telling stories and playing things out is how children make sense of the world. True as adults make. I was going to say, it's how I make sense of the world right now. (laughs) True for all of us, right? I think true for everybody, but kids especially are not often able to verbalize yet and intellectualize in the way that we do. So that really is the best language that they have for figuring out difficult situations in life. Um, so it's like not the most natural thing for a small child to sit on a couch for an hour and be like, I guess it all started when, you know, back when I was five, right. And my parents divorced, they don't have access to that yet. They're living these experiences right now. So play gives us another way to see and act out what children are feeling without having to rely so heavily on language yeah. And without causing children to feel so put on the spot of having an adult that they don't know, just staring at them in <laughs> for 50 minutes. Yeah. That's so and true. I, like give it, it's like a, it's like learning another language, that yeah. kinesthetic energy, right? It's like, I liken it to if someone comes up to me and starts speaking Spanish, I can pick out a few words, 
but I'm not going to be able to have a really meaningful conversation. Yeah. It's the same thing with kids. They just simply do not have the language. Yeah. And so when you flip, when you flip it and you come to their level, yeah. not only does it allow you to connect with the kid, but it connects you to your inner kid at the same time. And then a bunch of shit that's magic happens. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's a very improvisational process too, right? Like I see kids in a fairly wide age range. I mostly see tweens, but I have kids as young as three and four sometimes. And then young adults as old as 17 and 18. And so if you're seeing a teen and a four-year-old back to back, like Mm. you are different versions of yourself depending on who your scene partner is in those two sessions, right? Like we're <laughs> having like a degree just really comes in handy. Those it really is. Games. Every hour I get a new scene partner. It's like that, like change my world, like improv activity where it's like, yeah. there's a knock on the door and I open it. And like someone comes in on all fours and it's like, I'm a dog who hates everybody. And I'm like, you are, yes, you yes, are that. <laughs> yes, right. You just don't ever know. And I think that is such a, gratifying part of it for me is that every hour is so different and not, I get to be a lot of people in a day. And it's different for the people who are interacting with you too. Would you say that it develops maybe resilience in the face of change? Because I feel like if you're faced with different situations, whether it's you at hour to hour or whether Mm -hmm. it's the patient week to week, Mm -hmm. I feel like it is a muscle right? Mm-hmm. It's, and it can potentially build resilience and skills so that when you go out into the real world and you're faced yes. with, yeah. So that's a, that's a big hope in, in therapy as a whole. And certainly in, in play therapy is that we're, we're hoping that the skills that we practice in our sessions are generalizing to the outside world. So you can have that really nice experience of whether it's you know, I do teach a lot of coping skills. I do a lot of more talky work, but I try to translate that into kind of creative play and, you know, child-friendly terms. Yes. You practice those in the office, you get that chance to master these skills every week. And the hope is that that eventually bleeds over into other life and you're applying that outside of the room once yes. you've had that experience with somebody who's really responsive. So how did that present challenges during COVID for you? Yeah, I honestly freaked out. I freaked out. COVID. <laughs> I got so scared in COVID. I was sort of like an early adopter of COVID panic. I Same. was really scared really early. Like, oh, yeah. you know, February, March, I was like, it's happening. It's coming here. Let's get the cans. Like it, I it's, it's done. And one of my big concerns that I was like waking up at night about so scared was I had just spent a couple of years building my private practice. And I was like, it's gone. It's just not going to be back for a while. Like, you know, because of the way our healthcare system is set up, therapy is a luxury for many people. Yeah. I imagine that there are going to be people who are out of work. There are going to be people who are sick. Therapy is not going to be on people's minds. I'm going to lose work. And it got to the point that I was like, should I sign up for one of these like large telehealth companies that I have ethical feelings about? Or (laughs) do I need to get back to nannying? Like, what am I going to do when I lose my clients? I was really braced for that. It did not happen. What ended up happening, as I think you probably all have seen now, is that there was just this absolute tidal wave of children coming into therapy, like a tsunami of children. Maybe there were two weeks that were really quiet during the first lockdown as people sort of adjusted to the shock. And then it was pretty immediate. And I suddenly saw all of these kids coming in with depressive symptoms, depression, depression, depression. 
every new intake all day long, I'm just tossing out these depression diagnoses, which was not something I had seen in kids a lot before COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So that was really striking to me. I was, you know, readjusting, trying to figure out how do I treat this like depression epidemic that I'm seeing and checking in with other therapists. Like, are you seeing this? And they, yeah. And at that point, let's remember, like, this was the beginning when we really didn't know, like we we didn't have the context that we have now. We didn't know when it was going to end, if it was going to end, what was going to happen. So, and we were dealing with our own depression. And I imagine being around depressed children all day, was probably difficult have for you. <laughs> you gotta have a plan. Yeah, yeah. You gotta have boundaries. You gotta have your own stuff going on. And it, it is really hard. And right. Like this was pretty early COVID. So at that time I wasn't really seeing children who had been personally affected by people who were sick. I was seeing kids who were home from school. Mm. Prom had been canceled. They couldn't go on their field trip. Their band thing that they'd worked for all year was gone. And to us, this seems sad, but not life-changing. But when you are in middle school or high school, that is your whole identity. Yeah. You are at an age where you are starting to really rely on your friends, like a second family, to figure Mm -hmm. out who you are. And taking that stuff away, even if it's like medically necessary, is incredibly hard. And it was the absence of those good, creative, social fulfilling experiences that was leading to this depression rather than just like the presence of like actual illness. So one of the ways that I had been coping with my own COVID angst was Dungeons and Dragons or D&D as we call it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Which is not like something that I grew up playing. I was not a geeky kid. I was not really a game oriented kid. I was not a video game kid. But when I moved out of New York to Davidson, I had no local friends. I yeah. knew, I know you just moved, right? There's, I was going to say that's the boat yeah. I'm in literally right now. I have, uh, I've had to cultivate a handful yeah. of friends, but making friends as an adult is super challenging. So when it you is. have a common activity, it's like the biggest weight off your shoulders. Do you dream about people coming to your website and telling you, I cannot wait to work with you. I've been looking for this forever. I feel like I already know you. Can I please pay you to help me? Or maybe you just want to feel more confident when you sit down to write something for your business, knowing your words aren't just evaporating into the ether of the internet, but instead are connecting with your ideal customers. Look, after years as a freelance copywriter, I can very confidently tell you that no matter what business you're in, great copy turns words on the page into dollars in the bank, just like magic, which is why I want to make sure you know that my signature course copy class is currently open for enrollment. Now, here's the thing. You can hire a professional copywriter. But honestly, that could cost you thousands and it just doesn't make sense to hire someone every freaking time you need to write something for your business, which is why I specifically designed copy class for non-writers. 
entrepreneurs who want to learn to write their own high converting copy without breaking the bank or spending hours staring at the blinking cursor of death. Copy class covers everything you need to know from the psychology behind why certain writing works to honing in on your actual ideal customer, aka people who are truly going to give you their monies, to how to write a website that converts start to finish, and finally, how to send emails that convert and sell. So if you want to learn more about copy class, see what's inside, and hear from past students, head to kelseyforemost.com slash copy class. That's kelseyforemost.com slash C-O-P-Y-C-L-A-S-S. Yeah. So I, I went through a phase where I was just saying yes to any social invitation that seemed remotely possible and realized when I was invited to play D&D that it is a game for theater kids. I thought it was a game for like math people because I saw that the dice had numbers on them. And I think that really put me off for a while. Mm-hmm. And the sheet with all of the math. There is some math, but there are computers that can do the math for you. And really, it's structured improv. It is collaborative storytelling with your friends. And it's this amazing way to jump into a social situation where you bypass a lot of the small talk. You bypass what do you do for a living? How's the weather today? Whatever. Please, and you're, please God, yeah. give us more of those. <laughs> yes, you have immediately like something that you must accomplish with these people. And there's a little bit of safety in being removed and not yourself. You're playing mm, yeah, a character. Totally. So you say something dumb. It wasn't really it's you. Yeah. Character. Yeah. So it's this amazing way to meet people. And it checks off a lot of the boxes for activities that stave off depression. It's creative. It's social. There's a sense of accomplishment. You're mastering a new skill. So I found myself in these sessions with kids thinking like, God, I just, I just wish I could get them into D&D. Like, could we just get them to play D&D? Like they, we don't have a trauma we're processing yet. They just need something to do. Yeah. To be with people, especially if they did not have a really secure friend group set up before school shut down. Mm, yes. How do we find supportive, cool people for you? that you can meet with on a regular basis and really know that you've got something coming. Man, one of the biggest, hardest realizations that I'm still processing, honestly, is how I can be an introvert. I mean, truly an introvert. Yeah. And God, I wish I could ignore my need for human connection, (laughs) but turns out it's biological and we got to do it. We need it for like survival. Yeah. everything you're saying is really hitting home for me of like, even if you're not processing a current trauma, you still need that connective tissue. You still need that sense of belonging and play. Totally. And I don't know if that was something that in your previous life you got out of the arts that you, Oh, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. I um, wrote an essay about how it was the first time that I felt emotionally safe um, playing in front of others because there was a script. And as you just said, like, it wasn't me, it was me getting to embody someone else, which Mm -hmm. in turn enabled me to be in my own body for the first time. Yeah. That is that scripted element is something that I think is really helpful for many of the kids that we see in D and D as well, that whether it's social anxiety or we get many kids who are autistic in our groups, Mm, yeah, knowing that there are predictable rules to the interactions feels very safe. Yeah. 
We know what happens when somebody takes damage in a fight. We know what actions a person is allowed to play. And so it's, it's harder to feel like you're being taken by surprise or that somebody is tricking you. Yes. So you expanded that work. And so it started with the COVID like play groups. You partnered with our other mutual friend, actor, Zachary Bird. Yes. Who we love. And you created young dragon slayers. And now it's like a whole ass thing. It's a whole ass thing. Yeah. Before we started recording, I said like a sentence I thought I would never say, which is we just hired our third dungeon master. (laughs) Not a thing. I thought I would ever have an opportunity to say that I now have like a stable of dungeon masters who run games. Uh, I love that so much. Yeah. It's been, it's been such a delight. When Zach and I first started this, we started really small partially because I think for me, it's easier for me to give myself permission to risk things. If I give myself permission to be very like incremental and like, absolutely um, mediocre. Yeah. Pace is a huge part of understanding how things work for you or don't work for you. So, you know, it was, it was very tempting to get swept away into these big ideas of like, we could write our own game modules that people could buy and run their own groups. We could train other people. And I was just like, what if we did six sessions? Yeah. of a group. It's six sessions long. We'll recruit five or six people. It was mostly my current clients. We ran the group and then it just never, they never stopped playing. We're still playing. It's been almost two years. (laughs) And that original group, like there's been a little bit of turnover, but that core group has, has remained almost every single week for two years. That's incredible. I love that so much. And I think that's a really important point to hammer home is there is so much value in starting small. I think a lot of people, especially creative people, we have the ability to see the big vision. And so Mm -hmm. when it, when in real life, it's not the big vision immediately, we start to feel a lot of judgment on ourselves and our inability to execute things. And it's just so much that we just don't do anything circling back to that idea of perfectionism, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. And I I think about this all the time in my therapy practice. I think about it in D&D. I think about it in my writing that what I wish I could have told like early career me is that consistent okayness is going to trump like the burst of genius, like every time. Like, I feel like there's just this myth that you have to wait until you have an idea that nobody has had before, or until you have something that's really awesome. And actually, if you only do that sporadically, like once every other year or whatever, no one will ever see it because they don't know where you are and they don't know that you do stuff. So like, you know, if you can crank out a blog post every week and a lot of them are like really derivative and just okay, Mm -hmm. statistically, some of them are going to not suck and reach people and they'll be able to find them because they're sitting on this huge pile of the ones that are just all right. That's so, I love this. Um, one of my really good friends also who went to Davidson, a writer, Marion Shambari, I was telling her just that I was so, I had all of these like half finished essays or half finished blog posts that I just like got an idea and then never finished because I was like, oh, it's bad. Like, it's not that valuable. It's not that good. And she was like, think about it, Kelsey, it's math. Half of your writing is going to be below average, whether you like it or not. I like that. And once I thought about that, like, oh, this might just be on that half of the 
spectrum in the my below average category. And if I can just consistently work to make that average a little bit higher, mm-hmm. great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The bar I set for myself early on when I was writing was like, I, I feel confident that it won't do harm. The best, you know, the worst thing that happens is somebody reads it and they're like, I've seen this before and they leave and they go find something else that's more helpful. But I know I'm not giving harmful advice to people. Right. And if I can great gut check, man, God, I love that. Clear that bar. Great. (laughs) That's like that. We've done it. Like, that's fine. That's so Uh, good. Well, speaking of your writing, you want to tell the people what you're working on? Well, yes. Yes. So (laughs) I started blogging as a way to market my therapy practice, which was sort of my business baby before Young Dragon Slayers and gave myself exactly that permission. Like, damn it, I'm going to write a blog post every single week for a year because I got to figure out how to market this business. I got to get some SEO. Like I got to figure this out. And I did. And at first nobody saw it. It was comforting to me that nobody saw it. I said, I was just like screaming into the void once a week. And I was like, even if no one reads it, like I'm updating my site. So it'll be good for my SEO. And that was like really the only standard I had was like, maybe it'll boost my rank. By the way, guys, don't forget that this is a licensed counselor therapist person who has the exact same (laughs) imposter syndrome as the rest of us. Yeah, man, we all have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like writing my like crappy little blog posts and sometimes I go back and read the first ones and I'm like, no, they're, they're not good. Like they're not (laughs) awesome, but they're fine. They're okay. But after a year, like with a year's worth of consistent posting and doing some HARO, which I know that you also are a big advocate of. Yes. HARO stands for H-A-R-O, help a reporter out, by the way. Yeah. Yes. Which I, I have also found very comforting because you can just sort of send it out into the void and maybe it's not your best work, but you're doing it consistently every day. Yeah. Um, within a year, I was, I had gone from a site that was a brand new site that nobody saw to like tens of thousands of monthly visitors. It's amazing, Katie. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, To my like counseling site, right. Where I can only see maybe 15 people a week. Um, but one of those people was an editor for an imprint of Simon and Schuster, who was looking for a therapist to author a book about childhood grief. Um, Mm -hmm. that sort of like young dragon slayers is a response to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, it's this very sad kind of messed up thing where, you know, editors are looking for gaps in the market and they're trying to predict trends. And a trend that they're seeing is that we have this huge wave of childhood grief coming in from people who have lost loved ones to COVID. Mm-hmm. And that there are not a lot of books written for lay people to help parents help children through grief. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which I know is incredible. something that you also know a lot about that. Sure do. <laughs> yeah. I know, like, a really, a, a, a really, it's, it's, it's a shockingly common experience when I started to dig into it. I think the statistic is that one in three American children will lose a loved one by the time that they turn 18. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and for many kids, it's, it's not always true that therapy is the answer for every child, depending on the nature of the loss and depending on their age. It's it, grief is not pathological, right? Like we, right. we talk a lot about anxiety. We talk a lot about depression and those feelings can be part of grief, but it's such a healthy normative response to loss. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And I also think a misconception or something, maybe not a misconception, but just something that isn't really talked about a lot 
is that it doesn't have to be death to be grief. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, in we're taking a little bit of a turn, but in my personal case, when I was 15, I found out my dad had been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and was given six months to live. And my parents chose to hide that diagnosis from me initially. And I found out by accident because I was the only one who knew how to log into the family email account. Super fun times, by the way, my handle, my handle was tinkerkel eight at AOL shout out to all the chat rooms who (laughs) I was a part of. Thank you for helping. Did they know you was like, were you like an 18 year old from LA in those chat rooms? I was, I was like a 15 year old theater nerd who like went into chat rooms to talk about, you know, um, like Sondheim versus Cole Porter and who was the best lyricist of the 21st century. So like all of this checks out. Yes. (laughs) By the way, it's Sondheim. Um, (laughs) RIP love him. So And that through a lot of therapy and a lot of work later in life, my dad ended up living for 11 years with that diagnosis. So I didn't actually have the end loss, um, until I was 26, but that 15 year old me, it was a very different grief than 26 year old me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's such a valuable area to really dive into and give people more tools because for some reason. There's so much silence around grief. Yeah. And I think it's truly just because nobody knows what to say. Well, our culture doesn't talk about death, right? Yeah. Culturally, we don't talk about it. It's off limits. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about death, right? We so talk about I violence think, and yeah. like violent deaths, but yeah. we don't talk about like normal, normal, quote yes. unquote, like everyday yeah. death. Yeah. Like existential, it's going to happen to us someday. Death is right. not. A thing we talk about. And so I think that for adults, it's hard to talk about with other adults. And then you look at a child, especially your own child and think like, how on earth am I going to say it to them in a way that's not going to like deeply mess them up forever? Like it's such a, it feels so huge. It feels like you have to get it exactly right. It feels like there's some magic phrase that you're going to say, that's going to keep them from hurting more than they need to. Hmm. And there, there isn't but that was one of my hopes with the book is like, can we give some language? Can we give some ideas that are good enough, right? That give, give parents something that they can say that is age appropriate for children. Yes. Gosh, I love this. And Katie, when is this book coming out? How can people find it? That's so sweet. Yeah. It comes out in July. Um, Yeah. And you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Barnes and Noble. You can find it on Books a Million. Um, you can request it. I'm sure if you want to support a local bookstore, uh, it's available for pre-order now. Uh, I have a little spot on my website where if you share your pre-order information with me, I have some extra activities that were not included in the book. Yeah. Yes. I was, I was so mad that Encanto came out right after (laughs) you sent the book away. I was like, this would have been very helpful to me like six months ago. So there's an Encanto activity that I'm happy to send out, but uh, it should be out. Yeah, it'll be out soon. And that's at katielear.com. We'll put that in the show notes below. And what is the book called, Katie? The book is called A Parent's Guide to Managing Childhood Grief. 
simple, straightforward. I freaking love it. That is it so is. good. And it is. where can people learn more about Young Dragon Slayers? You can go to youngdragonslayers.com, which is our website. We are planning on opening a few new sessions of these of these D&D coaching groups in the next month or so. So probably starting in May, maybe into June uh, while we're recording. Um, and yeah, the, the process right now is that I ask all interested families to meet with me for a quick discovery call first. I get to know you, I get to know your kid. And then we figure out what kind of group and maybe which of our current game runners is a good fit. And that's amazing. Um, yeah, then we send you to a trial game. You get to try it out. And if it seems like a good fit, you're good to go. Gosh, I love this. And also I'm struck in this moment by, I think this is the fourth time Dungeons and Dragons has come up on this podcast. It is in the zeitgeist right now. Mm -hmm. It is a thing. And I, I think it is, it's partially like stranger things, but I think also that all of us as adults, like really needed an escapist storytelling based social outlet that was safe to do. In yes. Yes. Yeah. I, th I do think that there is a piece where Dungeons and Dragons was obviously really at its height in the eighties when we were kids or when people who were maybe of a slightly older age group were kids mm -hmm. and those people are now parents. Yeah. And they're, especially of kids who are now of the age where they want that same kind of play. And I think one of the coolest things is, you know, when I'm around kids, it inspires me to be more playful It inspires me to try and fail things. It inspires me to stop feeling like I have to look cool. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I work mostly with middle schoolers and I feel like it is such a lie that we are fed that like middle school girls are inherently mean or catty or that there's something inherently like wrong with middle schoolers. Yeah. Like. I mean, you could not pay me to go back to middle school. I don't want to go. Like it sucks. But like, man, I laughed harder in these groups than I left anywhere in my life. And I had like almost forgotten that that middle school specific feeling of like when you have laughed so hard that it is like physically painful. Yeah. And like there will be moments where we're all just like like silent scream laughing on these calls because somebody has done something that's so funny. And it's very nice to get to like experience that again without having to experience like the rest. That's such an important message. Like, don't forget that there was good too, right? The highs are high. The lows are low. The highs are high. Are the really lows high. are low. And it's all just weather and it all passes and we're all just walking each other home. Katie, thank you so much for being here on Find Your Magic. This was such a valuable conversation and it's inspiring me to go call Matt Woods, who was in a previous episode, who is a dungeon master himself and start my own damn game. I want to start doing this too. Got to get you some really should. play in my life. Yes. I feel like this is, this is like perfect for you. Yes. My next calling dungeon master, who knows anything could happen. Yeah. You know, you, you know who to email if that's a path you're interested in. <laughs> I sure do. All right, everybody. Katie's information is in the show notes below. You can find her at katielear.com. Also um, on Instagram at katielear, I believe. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you, Katie. Thank you guys for being here. Go out there and make all kinds of magic. We love you. 
Hey, Magic Maker. If you made it to the end of this episode, it means you're truly committed to inviting more magic into your life. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and follow Find Your Magic on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to this stuff. Each review truly means so much to me. Thank you for being here. Now go out there and find your magic.